Now, I want you to know that there is a reason for you. The danger of evolution is evolution tells us there's no intent with us. There's no purpose. That just some random evolutionary process spits you onto the world stage. And there's no transcendent reason to live. The bottom line is that's not true. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Made. Not fearfully and wonderfully evolved. Um, and because of that, God has a purpose for you. He has a destiny for you. He has a plan for you that he saw before the world even began. He hatched a plan for you before he said, let there be light. And when you understand that, you understand your why in life. So I'm finishing this series on the why advantage. And what I mean by the why advantage is when you understand why you're here, not just that you're here, but why you're here, it gives you an advantage in life. It gives you an advantage in warfare. It gives you an advantage in uh, trials. And we're going to see today it gives you an advantage in weariness. How many of you can say, I've had a little bit of weariness last few months. I, I have felt weary. It's a wearisome day, culture, uh, season in our land. And um, people of God are going to have to know how to put on the strength of the Lord. And so today, I'm going to talk to you about the why advantage in weariness. And I'm going to go to a story, a quick story. Book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, verse 1. The people of Judah have been released from Babylonian captivity to go and rebuild their city and the wall. And I want to use this as an Old Testament example of a New Testament reality. So, Nehemiah 4, 1. They have begun to build under Nehemiah. And it says, it so happened when Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? In other words, what a joke that they think they're going to pull this off. Now, Tobiah, verse 3, the Ammonite, was standing next to Samballot, and he said, yeah, yeah, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he's going to break down that stupid paper mache wall. Nehemiah heard all this, and he decided to pray. Now, we can't pray the way he prays right here, because we're in the New Testament. I wish sometimes we could, because it's called an imprecatory prayer, which is a fancy word for saying, God, get them. <laughs> Look what he says. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. Give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Don't cover their iniquity, and don't let their sin be blotted out from before you. <laughs> That's a heavy prayer. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Now, they got fresh resolve after that prayer. So we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. 
Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God again. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Now, so far, so good. There's one verse to go. But I want you to note what suddenly happens to the Jewish people, the people of Judah. It says in verse 10, Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing. There is so much rubbish. We're not able to build the wall. What is up with that? They were doing so good the first nine verses. Now they're giving up, white flag, calling it a day, picking up their marbles, going home. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that you will help us to be strong in the midst of adversity and that we would experience the why advantage even when we are so weary, we don't feel we can take another step. Lord, strengthen us in our weariness today, for when we are weak, we are strong in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, perk up and listen, you're going to need this before you get home. (laughs) Now, in case you haven't been here um, the last few weeks, we've been talking about the Y advantage, the Y advantage in trials, the Y advantage... uh, the, the, the advantage that understanding why you're here and who you are in Christ gives you an edge. The why advantage is about the advantage you have in life when you understand who you are in God and why you're here. What's his reason for having you here? Why do he let you get up for another day and me and give us another day? Why? Why are we here? Why doesn't he just take us home the minute we're saved? Because God has a plan. A plan for every one of us. God has a plan. He's got a plan for you. The most important thing you and I can ever do is fulfill that plan. That we would grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. That we would shine as lights, be salt of the earth, advance the kingdom of God. He had a plan for all of us. Collectively and individually, there's a plan. And when you understand that, it gives you an edge in warfare, an edge in trials, and even an edge when you're weary. Esther's uncle, Mordecai, told her, he said, listen to me, Esther, you're queen, but I want you to think about this. That's not the ultimate for you. You have come to the kingdom for such a time. There's always a bigger picture. The main thing is to keep the main thing. The main thing. The main thing for all of us is to keep the main thing, Jesus, the main thing in our life. Amen? So how do you have the edge in weariness? And what do they experience? Now the background of the story is, you probably know it, but because of Judah's sin, they didn't listen to Jeremiah the prophet. They didn't listen to a myriad of other prophets, uh, minor prophets that came to them. 
and told them, if you don't quit sinning, if you don't get right with God, if you don't repent, you're going to be carried off into captivity. You're going to be judged and it's going to be severe. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. They even ripped up the writings of Jeremiah and threw them into a fire. When a place gets to where they're burning the word of God, get ready. It's going to be judged. So they didn't listen. So the Babylonians came down, took them into captivity and dragged them off in chains. It was a horrible scene. If you want to know how bad it was, read the book of Lamentations right after Jeremiah because Jeremiah with tears writes down what he's seeing. His own prophecies coming to pass. His own warnings appearing in front of him. Now, after 70 years, they were released by a Persian king named Cyrus. And the, the amazing thing is the prophet Isaiah had predicted that after 70 years they would be released and he named the name of the Persian king when he wasn't even born yet. That's the power of God's word. So they're being dismissed. They're being released. And thousands of them have returned to their homeland that they haven't seen in seven decades. That's a long time. Some of them that returned had never seen it because they were born in Babylon. But they go back to rebuild. And when they see the results of the judgment that fell, it was so deflating. They look at their city, it's a pile of ruins. Uh, it's burned to the ground, it's overgrown with weeds, it's overrun with wild animals. It's full of debris and litter. Overgrown. It's a mess. And yet God has told them, I want you to go back and rebuild the city and rebuild the wall. You have my green light. Go for it. And you know what? They began with enthusiasm. The Bible says they had a mind to work. That means they had an attitude of let's go. They're full of zeal, full of fire for the cause of God. They understand at this point their why. My why as God's people, is to rebuild this city for the glory of God because he has laid his hand on this city and this is the city of the, of the Lord and I'm going to rebuild the wall, rebuild the city, rebuild the temple. We are back. And we're told as they begin the work, then they are suddenly attacked by enemies. Anytime you put your hand to the work of God, don't be shocked when you're attacked. Because as soon as you put your hand to the cause of God, you're going to be attacked by God's bitter enemies. But that's all right. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And uh, the opposition has two top leaders, Sam Ballot and Tobiah. Sam Ballot is a Horonite. What a terrible name. Tobiah is an Ammonite. All you need to know about those two ites is they were a part of the tribes that Israel drove out of the promised land when they first went in to take it. So they've always been enemies of Israel. And these two men immediately launch an intimidation campaign that is very, very severe and concentrated, fierce. They unleash a tirade of bitter mocking and threats of violence and uh, constant criticism. They have decided the way to get at these people is to intimidate them with fear and to overwhelm them with mockery and, and, and criticism. 
and make them the joke. Degrade them, defame them, shame them. If even a fox walks along the top of the wall they're building, it'll collapse, mocking. And Sam Ballot flew into a rage, insulted and mocked and laughed at us. And so did his friends and the Samaritan army officers, the Gentiles. Every, they were surrounded by negativity as they began to build. And they also decided to throw confusion into the mix, which is always the sign of the devil. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. It says they plotted to lead an army against Jerusalem to bring about riots and confusion. We're going to kick up some riots and we're going to confuse this thing so bad they will give up and quit, which is what they were after. They did all this so that Judah would give up and quit and go back to Babylon. They wanted them to put up the white flag. They wanted them to stop. Just like the enemy. That's why you're having so much warfare today. The devil wants you to stop. He, he knows you're saved. You're going to go when the trumpet blows. But he doesn't want you glorifying Christ on the earth. So he, he's, he's out to make you quit. Put up the white flag. Some of you watching right now online, Satan has been attacking you. Maybe the reason you're not even here in person is because you've been tempted to quit. i got to tell you, I'm going to preach the quit out of you today. I'm serious. They wanted them to quit. Satan always wants us to quit. He always wants us to give up. He always wants us to say, I can't do this anymore. Too much. And they even used peer pressure. Whenever the workers who lived in the nearby cities went home for a visit, the enemies tried to talk them out of returning to Jerusalem. Have you ever noticed the devil will try to talk you out of returning to your place of blessing? Oh, yeah. I, I can't tell you how often I've seen people get talked out of church. Well, I got offended there. Well, we've all been offended there. Well, there's a bunch of hypocrites there. Have you looked in the mirror? <laughs> I am, I'm going to. I... I mean, it's just all these excuses. But what they don't realize is they're being talked out of their place of blessing. Should you be shocked that the very place where God is feeding you, blessing you, where you're finding yourself in Christ and being involved in his work, that he would attack you there to get you out? Come on, church. Yet Judah responded with steely resolve to finish the work. It says, they prayed again. Hear us, O Lord God. We're being mocked. May their scoffing fall back upon their own heads. And they even doubled down on security. They believed in swords. So we set a watch against them day and night. Placed armed guards. So they didn't believe in sword-free zones. Some of you are going to get that sometime tonight. 
and they placed armed guards from each family in the cleared spaces behind the walls. Okay? Judah was winning the day in spite of all his negativity surrounding them, all the mockery, the joking, the jesting, the finger pointing, the threats of violence. In spite of all of it, they kept right on going until verse 10. In verse 10, something happens. Their mood changes. Their resolve collapses. Their faith faints. The strength of the laborers is falling. And there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. Now I want you to mark those words because we're going to see in a little bit that that was a lie. We're not able to build the wall. That's a lie. Because we're going to see in a minute, you went ahead and finished. So that's a lie. So whatever has a hold of them, the enemy is lying to them. When the devil tells you you can't do something that God has told you to do, mark it down. It's a lie. God told them to do it. But constant conflict, trials, and difficulties have multiplied, and aggravating setbacks have taken their toll. And when did all this happen? What was the point where they reached this place of, I give up, I can't do it? What, what place was it? There was, a, there was a particular place. The Holy Ghost doesn't waste a word with his word. So the Holy Ghost put this in the Bible for us to see. You know when it was? The halfway point. It was the halfway point. Because the Bible says, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. So they had this gigantic wall halfway finished. And that's when everything went south. And that's when their faith went sideways. And that's when they decided to give up. At the halfway point. At the halfway point. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There's something about the halfway point. Yeah, there really is something to this. We were at the halfway point and we quit, and we decided we couldn't do it. There's something about the halfway point with we human beings that, that, that gets to us. Halfway through the job, halfway to victory, halfway to their goal, they fainted. So there's got to be something to the, the halfway point. We're no different today. Have you ever noticed there, there's something about that halfway point where we weaken? Uh, I climbed a mountain once. Now, when I was a teenager, the only mountain I've ever climbed, I was so excited to climb it. It was called Pecos Baldy, and it's in New Mexico. And I climbed that mountain with a, some friends and a couple of guides. We had guides leading us. And this was a genuine, high, real mountain with snow on the top. And we climbed it. And I remember at the beginning of the climb thinking, hot dog, I'm going to climb a mountain. Hallelujah, here I come. I'm going to stand at the top of that mountain and I'm going to be king of the mountain. I'm going, to, I'm going to stand there and yell at the world. Sort of like Leonardo DiCaprio on that Titanic. I'm king of the world, whatever he said. And, and I couldn't wait. And so we all started with all the zeal, all the zest, all the motivation, all the excitement until we climbed all day. And at the end of the day, one of the guys said, well, we're going to stop right here and take a break. And I asked the wrong question. I said, well, how far do we have to go? And he said, well, we're about halfway there. 
And I said, halfway? Halfway? Are you kidding me? I'm young, I'm a teenager, but I am out of fuel. Halfway? You mean we've got half to go? See, because the halfway point, you're halfway done, but you've got halfway to go. <laughs> you've got half behind you, but you've still got half in front of you. And there was something about that halfway point where I just said, I don't know if I can make it all the way to the top. The halfway point. Have you ever noticed it's halfway to graduating? You say, do I really want this degree? How about halfway through that project, halfway through paying off the house or the car? You realize you're halfway there, and you've been working hard to get that car paid off, but you're halfway there, and something inside of you says, I got halfway to go with all I've already done? I don't know if I can do it. How about halfway through that marriage counseling? How about halfway through that diet plan? Boy, I got a big amen on that one. Because you got all that New Year's resolution, halfway through that New Year's resolution, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, and you're 10, you've made it to 10, and you feel like you're going to starve to death? Halfway through that exercise program. Well, I don't know if I want to look that fit. I'm feeling pretty good halfway. Halfway through reading the Bible in a year. Am I really only to Malachi? <laughs> it's, it's the halfway point, folks, where we feel like, I don't know if I got the will to keep going. Some of you are at a halfway point. Some of you watching, you're at the, the halfway point. COVID knocked you for a loop. You kind of lost your zeal for church, for the things of God. I'm so glad we're rebuilding, regrowing, that our, the folks are coming back and we're getting new people all the time. I'm so glad for that. But so many people checked out during COVID. I just don't have it in me to get back. But, but the Bible says that's not true. You do. You do have it in you. But see, let me tell you, the Bible reveals that it wasn't ultimately the mocking, the joking, the jesting, the threats of violence. That's not what made them say, I can't keep going. That's not what did it. I'm going to tell you what did it. In one simple sentence, they lost the right focus. I can't tell you how important your focus is. What I mean by that is, when you get up in the morning, what, what is your focus on? Because something dominates everybody's day. What's your focus on? Is it on just this way? Is it just this way? And I got to do the job, got to earn the money, got to take care of the kids, got to this, got to that. And, and that's your focus? Or is your focus this way? It's either horizontal or vertical. Your, your focus every day and mine needs to be vertical first. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. So the, the, you, you calibrate your daily compass every day by starting out with God. But they didn't do that. In the middle of the work of the Lord, they lost the right focus. They were in Emmanuel labor. They were doing the work of the Lord and that's where they lost their focus, doing the work of the Lord. They weren't off of the nearest bar. 
They weren't throwing their lives away. They weren't living in deep sin. They lost their focus doing the work of God. Whoa. They'd taken their eyes off of God and they began to focus on the rubbish. Watch this. They looked and they said, there is so much rubbish. That tells me right there, their focus had gone from vertical to horizontal. There's so much rubbish, so much rubbish. Uh, they, were, they were focused on the broken stones, the plaster, the dust, the dirt, the debris, the trash. They, they looked at what was half done and they looked at what still needed to be done, half more. They saw all the junk and they said, I just don't have it in me to clean this mess up and deal with all this and finish this wall. It's just not in me. It suddenly looked so overwhelming that they believed a lie. We are not able to build the wall. That was a lie. We are not able to build the wall. That's a lie. If God tells you to do something, you can do it. Behind every command from God is the grace of God empowering you to do it. And let me just bring this home to us, out of the Old Testament into the New. Here we go. This is what life is like for you and me today, right? There's so much rubbish. (laughs) So much rubbish. So much rubbish, figuratively speaking. Raising the kids, that's enough right there. (laughs) Paying the bills, struggling to make ends meet with inflation, conflict with coworkers, squabbling at home, squabbling on the way to church, A fender bender on the way to the store. That's the last thing you needed. Johnny's grades aren't good. Susie's got an attitude problem. Gas has gone up another 10 cents a gallon. And you went to get some eggs and they're 10 bucks a dozen now. (laughs) It's the way it feels. And, And you just wake up one day and you say, there's too much rubbish. I just cannot finish. But more than that, listen, on a deeply spiritual level, all of us face this every week every day, virtually every hour, we face this. The spiritual battle that's being waged against believers in Christ. Every Christian wakes up to a nation in moral collapse. Can I say that again? Every Christian wakes up to a nation in moral collapse. Now wrong is right. Right is wrong. We've lost our minds. Things don't make sense anymore. We wake up to that and we see, no, no, my Bible tells me right is right and wrong is wrong. Not right is wrong and wrong is right. So there's conflict. We wrestle with the challenge to live pure in in a pornographic culture. We witness well-known Christians walking away from the faith. You read the news. We sense a rise in persecution that we never thought we would see in America but it's certainly striking more and more and more your beliefs and my beliefs and Bible values are under attack. And on top of all that, we face the daily pressure to conform to a pagan society. And we're called to not do that. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the whole thing, there is, there is a, a battle and it weighs on you and it wearies you until finally you go, you know what? I don't know if I'm able to finish. There's too much rubbish. This has just become too much. Now, how did Nehemiah respond to this? I'm going to show you wisdom. I want you to look at what he did. He took their wrong focus and he got it back on the right focus. 
And, and he did it by bringing them back to their wives first. He said, don't be afraid. What are you afraid of? Because they were trembling in fear. The intimidation campaign was working. And they were afraid. If you go turn to the right, they're going to be there. Turn to the left, they're going to be there. You're going to die. You're going to lose the battle. Uh, they're, they're coming at you from every side. You can't win. You can't finish. And they were yielding to fear. Nehemiah said, don't yield to fear. Instead, get your focus fixed. Folks, I'm going to tell you, if you're full of fear, your focus is off. It needs to be recalibrated. Because fear comes from what you're looking at. Fear comes from what you're thinking about. Fear comes from the wrong focus. And believe me, I have dealt with fear hugely in my life. I was raised in a family of worriers. If you don't want to worry about something, you let me know. I'll call my family that live in New York. They'll worry for you. I had to retrain my mind to not worry, to not be afraid, not walk in fear. Fear means wrong focus. He turned their focus back to God. He said, listen, don't fear, but remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Great and awesome. Get your eyes off of what you're afraid of and remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Ye will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is fixed on you. Whose mind is fixed on you. So if you're fixed on God, there's no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. And God is perfect love. And if you're fixed on him, focused on him and his promises and his word, it will cast out fear. He's a mighty God, an awesome God, an all-powerful, all-knowing God. And, and I'm going to tell you, he's on your side. If you're his child, he's on your side. Paul said, if God be for us, on our side, in our corner, fighting for us, who or what can successfully prevail against us? And it's a, it's a uh, rhetorical question. Nobody and no thing. God's for you. God's for you. And we're on the winning side. We've got two-thirds of the angels on our side. We've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost on our side. All the devil has is a third of the fallen angels and his own fallen self. We're on the winning team. If you're a Christian, you're in a win-win situation. It's true. Amen. They had temporarily, temporarily forgotten their, their why. Why were, are we here in the first place? It was the Lord that had called them home to Jerusalem. It was the Lord that had commanded them to rebuild. It was the Lord that opened the door for their return. And so they had to look back up and say, I'm only here because he put me here. So if he put me here, he's going to sustain me here. And so they walked with God and they got their focus back. But then he turned their focus to one more thing. Their, their destiny their destiny, their descendants, their ultimate reason for even existing. And here's what it was. He said, I want you to remember, watch what he did. He turned their focus from fear. Watch this. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses, your posterity, your future. 
your grandchildren, great-grandchildren. He said, I want your children and you want your children to be free. You want your grandchildren to have a city of their own. And you want the cause in the name of God spread throughout the whole earth. The stakes are higher than what you're looking at. And this is not about you. It's about the bigger picture. It's about the main thing. It's about the calling of God on your life. It's about the plan of God for you to spread his word through the earth. It's about the fulfillment of the plan of redemption by sending Messiah Jesus through your descendant. The big picture. There's always a bigger picture, higher, deeper, wider than you or me. Why are we here? We're here just to come in, punch a religious clock, do our time and duty, and go home while I went to church? No. We're here for the prisoners like the one that texted me this week and I read to you his letter. He's set free by the word of God. We're, we're here to spread the gospel through the earth. We're here to spread the kingdom of God, to propagate the kingdom of God, to advance the kingdom of God. We're, we're here to be, we're here to be the light of the world. We're here to be the salt of the earth. You are the light. You are the salt. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a special called out people that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are, you are, you are, you are. You are. It's at the halfway point where you feel like fainting and you have to say this to yourself. There's all kinds of fights. There's bad fights, unnecessary fights, stupid fights, <laughs> useless fights. But listen, the cause of God on the earth is always a good fight. It's a good fight. So Nehemiah said to them, here they are. We quit. We can't do it. And Nehemiah said, stop it. Change your focus. Don't be afraid. Focus on God and fight the good fight. And I love this final verse. All of us returned to the wall. He's the best motivational speaker in, in history. One of the best. Because look what he did. He said, here's your why. And it was the why that got them back to the wall. Some of you need to return to the wall. There have been times in my life I needed to return to the wall. You can be discouraged. You can be hurt. You can be depleted. You can be disillusioned. You can be bleeding on the inside, betrayed, offended, but you got to return to the wall. You got to return to the wall and finish what you started. Do you know they all returned? And I'm going to show you what they built. That wall was two and a half miles long. Two and a half miles in circumference. Just get on the roof of this church and don't really do it, but if you were on the roof of the church and you looked out two and a half miles into the horizon, that's how long the wall was they built. And it was 40 feet high. And it was eight feet wide. You could put a chariot and horses and run around the whole top of the wall. 
And they did it in 52 days. Huh? Now let me ask you a question. Was it a lie when they said we're not able? <laughs> Look what they could do in God. See, you don't know what you can do until you let the Lord do it through you. You got to let the Lord do it through you. So in 52 days, it's an engineering marvel. Two and a half miles, 40 feet. How tall is this roof? Is this 40? 40. Two and a half miles, eight feet wide. In less than two months. At the halfway point, they wanted to quit. Where are you? Can we stand up together? How many of you have ever wanted to quit at the halfway point? How many of you are at a halfway point now and you got the quits talking to you? Okay, most of us are not going to tell the truth there. But here's the deal. If that's where you are, let me tell you something. What would you think of a football game where the quarterback at halftime went back to the locker room and said, you know, I'm really tired. It's Super Bowl. You know, I'm really tired. Can you send out the assistant, the, the secondary quarterback, because I'm just too tired to go out there and finish this game. What would you think of him? What would you think of him? Our Savior said it is finished. Paul said, I have finished my race. The greatest finisher in all of history is living inside of you. So you can finish. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you that you're the great finisher. And we thank you, Lord, you're going to help us to finish what we've begun, to finish our race, to finish strong, to not step aside, not get out of the race, not get out of Emmanuel labor, but to do what you've called us to do and do it until we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's where we want to be, Lord. Thank you for the why advantage. Help me to keep my mind and my eye on the why you have over my life. And to fight that good fight in Jesus' name. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.